0: Are you tired of not getting performances? Are you sick of nobody knowing your pieces? Do you write great music, but orchestras won't give you the time of day? Then you should apply for the Adagio for Things composition competition. Here at Adagio, we have everything you need to get your composition career off the ground. An ensemble that will practice your piece to perfection, mentors who are personally assigned to each winner. And you'll even get a recording that you can show to your friends to make them say, wow. Just listen to what this satisfied composer had to say.
1: I went last year. The ensemble sounded okay. In my mentor session, he told me I should wear more makeup and more feminine clothes, and then he would not stop staring at me. My- wow!
0: That sounds like a satisfied composer to me, and she's not alone.
2: So, at the end of the recording session, the conductor asked me where I was from, and I said in Michigan. And he was like, no, where are where are you from from? Like your ancestors. And I was like, what the fuck?"
0: how about this testimonial from alumnus Nico Molly? Hi, can I get a black coffee with ginger? Yes, you can. Um, Mr. Muley. Um, I hope this is so I'm my friends run a, a call for scores and I know that you didn't really submit but we um, we did consider your work and actually could maybe could you say something nice better call for scores into my, my phone what applying is as easy as one two three one. Write a piece specifically for our ensemble of tuba, euphonium, theremin, soprano, mandolin, baroque violin, and bass. Standard doublings apply. Two, include a CV, recent headshots, two letters of recommendation, program notes, 500 words max, a one page statement of purpose explaining why you would benefit from winning our competition, and a recording of the submitted piece. Live recordings are preferred, but MIDI files are acceptable. And three, one easy payment of $45. Winners will be invited to Sunny Opera America, where your piece will be rehearsed and recorded by real life New York freelancers who we happen to be friends with. With. Are you ready to take your composition career to the next level? Then start today by applying to the Adagio for Things Composition Competition.
1: Also, submissions must be written specifically for and dedicated to the Adagio for Things Composition Competition. Subsets of previously composed pieces will be discarded. Though MIDI files are acceptable, it is unlikely that they will be seriously considered. We do not discriminate, we accept applications regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, and gender. Irish need not apply.
2: to adagio for things
1: hi hi welcome to the show
2: hi i'm michael i'm
1: spencer and i'm will we're your hosts Let's- i'm just dancing to the music he head. is
2: actually <laughs> dancing today i sit down with composer pascal LeBuff and discuss his work and his upcoming new project he has in san francisco represent if we have any listeners there I Maybe think we do. I know someone in California. I can ask her to uh, listen, then we can actually say we do have a California sure. listener.
1: Our, she's our California contingency. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh, what a great band name. <clears throat> uh, but before we get to that, today we're going to be talking about fees for call for scores.
1: To start off, we probably just lost like 17 listeners, because no one outside of composers knows what the fuck that is. Yeah. So... We'll explain it. It's important. And so we're going to talk about it because there's kind of a bullshit system that's keeping you from hearing more new music and all that stuff.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So.
1: Let's go. So that's a good place to start. Game on. Yeah. Sports.
2: (laughs) Call for scores. Let's talk about it. Okay. Let's
1: talk about (laughs) it. Okay. I guess most people are going to not know what this is. So what a call for scores is, is ensemble or uh, a player Or some organization, sometimes even just a person who wants to help make more new music happen, will say, I'm putting out essentially a want ad out into the ether that says, if you're a composer, send your music in and we're going to pick someone based on which pre-existing piece we like the best. And then either play that composer's music or commission them to write a new piece of music or maybe just give them a prize what's the relationship to calls that composers have why is it meaningful for us to to even be talking about it right so composers when one is in the early stages of their career spends a lot of time sending out music to these things because it's kind of annoying if you just send out your music to people you don't know cold calling them be like hey do you want to lose 20 minutes of your day listen to this well and because it's impossible to get your your music played right because so they people send a lot of music to these calls for scores um and so and they actually provide a lot of opportunities for people to get their music heard outside of their immediate community get some prize money sometimes get lots of different things that can help help you on your way to success. One thing that has been increasingly troublesome in the last five to 10 years is different groups charging fees for entry into these opportunities. That's kind of the shorthand Mm -hmm. for that. And there's a lot of controversy among composers about are these justifiable things that you kind of need to do? They are literally maybe the dues you have to pay. Or are they things that are kind of immoral if you really dig into it on the part of these people who want new music. Well,
2: mm-hmm. it's like with most things, it's, um, it's it's how it's used or how it's applied that really determines if it's being done correctly, I think. And there's also a lot of subjectivity to it, too. But kind of backing up a minute, too, if you're looking at just the groups themselves, what would be the benefit of having fees if you... We're putting out the call for scores, looking at it from the other end of the perspective. So any type of group that functions is going to require funds. It's just the way it goes. A lot of the times, in order to host something like a call for scores, there's going to be a lot of... Especially if you're going to implement the call for scores into a concert, you're going to have to have funds. And I feel like one way that people have helped put money towards that has been applying fees to the call for scores. So that's kind of the impetus for its happening it wasn't just a necessarily just tacking it on as an extra way to make money
1: so maybe just to give people like a clearer picture of what we're talking about and bear with us because this will get interesting we promise let's give like a more concrete example of, of one of these i have a string quartet i care about new music i have a,
0: a sincere desire to help young composers who uh don't have as many opportunities as 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 they'd like so i'll put out a call if you have a 10 minute string quartet send it our way we'll pick a winner and the winner will get a performance and i'll tack on a 15 dollar fee just so that I, i'm i'm not inundated right
1: on and then so michael and i might be two uh young destitute composers and mm-hmm. we see this Magical opportunity emerge shining through the internet. (laughs) As as it turns out, paying
0: $50,000 a year for these expensive schools don't actually garner any opportunities, so you're (laughs) kind of reduced to just answering glorified Craigslist ads.
1: So then in that case, what would then happen is Michael and I would each send in a piece of music because we're both interested and we want to work with Spencer and his hypothetical group anyway so then michael and i spend a few days make going through our string quartet scores and making sure that you know nothing looks out of place we don't have typos and those kinds of things uh and they just so that it looks professional we both send it off i usually send mine off the exact oh i day can't afford the 15
2: dollars, so i've been dissuaded
1: oh, from so michael's been submitting. Dissuaded. so
2: but in, in this there's also three
1: other composers and we send them in mm. and um uh, as usual, I lose. I don't know. But somebody gets chosen okay, so uh, by Spencer's string quartet, and then in a few months, they play it, and and that's that. So that's what a call for scores is. The problem that a lot of composers are having is that certain groups, when they put these things on, want to charge a fee for when people enter these. Now, what's the argument for having these entry fees? Well, they're, they're, they dissuade less serious people from applying, so that these groups don't have to read through two thousand people who just sent off a thing because they got they got a notation software for a birthday present. But who's uh, holding them accountable that they actually went through all the scores? Exactly. So now we get into this. <laughs> the real question is: is this actually reducing the number of applications, and if so, is it reducing them for the right reasons? But before we get into that, what what are some other things that might be in favor of putting the the onus on the composer to to front this money?
2: Well, I would say, for example, if I was in an ensemble and I'm fairly, especially a fairly new ensemble, and I'm saying we want to support new music, just like Spencer was saying, we want to we want to promote it, but we really want to reach out to the community and get people to share their things with me through people we might not have ever heard before. So we have a very you know fairly noble reason for wanting to do this. If we're going to record or we're going to perform live, anything that we really are going to do is going to require money. Whether it's renting a venue, having equipment to record it, it's marketing for the event, anything that we do is pretty much going to have money involved. So one way that I feel like I've seen call for scores often used and justified is the funds that are collected from the call for scores goes towards the actual event itself and the the actual production Of the concert. That's kind of the pie in the sky version. And I think that that does happen a lot, but not always.
1: Right. The The other fee is the crowdfunding component of it. The other purpose that these fees often have is to pay people to judge uh, the competition itself. Part of the incentive for sending in your music to these things, because nowadays we all know you're competing against 400 other applications. Your music will get in front of some pretty well-known judges. You know, let's really actually make this a useful thing for these composers. So their music might get seen by a prominent conductor, a couple other well-known composers maybe who have some sway with different groups who teach at, you know, high-end universities and institutions, or maybe someone who's not involved in that way at all, but some prominent art administrators. (laughs) Reviewing all these scores does take a lot of work. So when it's not something that's purely under the institution or or ensemble's volition. They have to, you know, give the judges some reason to do this. So they usually pay them an honorarium or something like that. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine actually has been asked to judge one of these competitions once. And he was just kind of flattered to be asked and said, yeah, of course, of course. He said it took him like basically two full weeks of work to go through all of these scores because he felt really compelled to give things a proper look through, because he knows the position that a lot of young composers are in. But not everybody who was judging... Put in that much effort to go through it. It's it's a
0: job interview. It'd be it would be like if you had to pay a fee to get your resume looked at if you were applying for a job. That's a really
2: good comparison. Well, this brings us to the points
0: against. I mean,
1: but you're you're funding their you're funding their project. Where the question is, where does this money go? Does it go to having some prominent people who know what they're doing look through the scores? And if you actually extrapolate that out, you think we're going to have four hundred applications? Divide that by the judges time and what we want to give them it probably is going to be a fairly low fee for each of those 400 people so once you start charging people 20 or 30 dollars which is somewhat typical now mind you not everybody charges but when they do it's often some number like that and so you're asking composers people who can't just go around and gig to get money or you know go sit in or go this this is the job you're asking them to pay that much money to even be considered, and most likely not get it.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: It's it's a it's not even pay to play. It's pay to be considered to possibly play, and then I mean, what's the rate of return? I mean, how many? And what does playing get you? What is Yeah, a, a performance at university.
2: DSU.
1: DSU. Go oh, DS- Mavericks. DSU. Established Christian home. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 university. Delightful. That's <laughs> I offensive. I think he's insulting universities. I don't a-
0: Definitely <laughs> insulting. I'm <laughs> insulting
2: universities. Uh, so I think the biggest issue is what is, like you said, what is the money being used for? And I think it's not to say that even the argument of using it to dissuade applicants is a, is a bad thing. It depends on how that's used, because the reason I have a hard time believing that sometimes it's used to dissuade, it depends on the type of organization. If it's a large organization, like an orchestra, that doesn't really need the funds, they can make a higher fee to dissuade having a lot of applicants, but then I think that in that instance, the money, you have to be very careful how that money is used.
1: Even if it did dissuade people, who are you dissuading? If someone sucks at composing but they're very well funded from whoever, mm-hmm. they're still going to apply, but the, you know, the poor kid who is ex- super talented and has gone through and like is somewhat self-taught, maybe they went to the local college for music, who's written some amazing things but can't pay rent without that 25 bucks, they're the ones who are going to be mm-hmm. dissuaded. So the only thing you're doing is reinforcing this super classist environment of classical music which is the thing that new music is supposed to be kind of breaking away from in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no but that's the agree. thing because but people talk about diversity and the and in the, the infusion of other backgrounds but it's always from the same middle class or upper middle class background. I mean I mean if if the color of your skin changes that's as far as classical music goes. No one in classical music talks about class. Poor people don't get to spend sixty dollars an hour a week on violin lessons.
2: It that's and that even ties to the bigger issue of what action needs to happen to to. To generate diversity and and how to be more inclusive, and it is a fact that money plays a big part of a lot of things in life. Not even just not even just music. Even with you know entrances, it's just schools. You know, it's like how and then how do they tackle that problem of mm-hmm. getting more applicants?
0: Oh, the, the the school fees. I mean, I I'm sure we we all know people who applied to. You know, ten or twelve schools. I mean, that's fifteen hundred dollars. Oh yeah, someone mm-hmm. told me they well, applied why they... for a masters at Curtis for for voice, and it was three hundred dollars. Oh my god, insane! What what is the point of that? And that's that's a school that probably has a fifty more money
1: than God.
2: Yeah, yeah. You're, I think, right on the money. Who they're dissuading? is the very young, unestablished composers who are not making a solid income from writing or maybe even from other jobs, especially when you're right out of college, that would need to have these opportunities to apply. They're the ones that are going to get, get dissuaded. It, it kind of shows who
1: is already in those positions to to be doing these things. And again, not everybody who is an established musician is uninformed or comes from a background where they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth which you can see just because not every single opportunity has a fee tied to it. But yeah, you'd have to be at least a little unaware to think that it's justifiable to tell somebody that in order to take a chance on something that you already spent weeks, maybe months working on in isolation with no promise of payoff that you now have to pay 20 to $30 to be considered. And i would be willing to bet that a lot of those people would say, yeah, but it's $20, it's $30. So what? Well, which yeah. there mm-hmm. that it shows the ignorance. Mm-hmm. I think that they are completely unaware to a lot of people. That's a lot of money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even so, in New York, that's a third of an electric bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money to if, if you're someone who's scraping by, especially in music. Where your income is not steady, you, like these people should
2: appreciate this. That argument aside, because I, I think that even if it's trying to be good nature to say that it's trying to dissuade people for practical reasons of, of going through the, the scores, I think it's just, there's no real, there's no real good argument to justify that. But let's say if we are looking at good reasons that there might be a call for scores to have fees, my, this is my personal opinion, I think the actual costs of the concert and the actual costs of the actual process of Hosting the call for scores, I think, is a little bit more justifiable. Now, I think on the opposite side, the, the biggest thing that I personally have a problem with fees for call for scores is when the fee itself is pooled and used as the award money to the winning composer. Oh, That's yeah. a huge problem because not only are you saying you need to pay to apply, you are basically paying money towards the person who took the opportunity away from you. And then it becomes an adjudicated lottery. It's, it's total. It's just, it's the most disrespectful thing possible,
1: not just to the composer, but to the concept of new art in general. You're not even saying, oh, you're getting paid invisibility. In exposure. You're gambling (laughs) to get exposure. It really Mm. is just a lottery. With nothing. It's not. And and then, like you were saying, Michael, it's not even just gambling. It's like a fucking tontine for music. (laughs) It's like. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay, whichever one of us dies last, that's the one who will get played by the Chitabubu Quartet. Great. They're going to play at Idaho State University on a Sunday afternoon to 12 people. I'm bo- I'm bothered by that too, but then I, I consider if you're doing a call
0: that has a prize and you have to pay for the um, for the panel that's gonna go over everything, would it be better to know that your money's going toward uh, to pay for the hourly rate of the panel over the fee it, it it seems like that still works into the cost of running the call and then I mean they're charging a fee ultimately because they're constrained. Might by should, money, uh, like 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 all of us.
1: But these ensembles like know that these are expenses going in. They mm-hmm. don't have to have a call for scores. Or they, they
2: could, don't have to have an award. They don't have the,
1: the to have letter. anything. They could just say, like, hey, let's ask a living composer if we can play their music. Well, I, But I, if they I, don't have the funding and... coming from other sources to make these things happen, they shouldn't be putting it on the composer, the people that they're asking for the music to pay it's like i'm ranting too much I'm well sorry. no i
0: think i think that speaks to really the larger point which is i think what most people suspect when they're going through these calls for scores it is that the motivation for the call is insincere it's about funding their project
2: i agree I think that's, yeah. That's I think the that,
1: image that comes across to composers anyway. Yeah.
2: And I, yeah. Think, uh, I think...
1: I think I would be willing to bet that a lot of times when this happens, it's just this is a convention and these groups are doing it out of ignorance and not doing it out of malice. Mm, I think mm. they're just saying, oh, this is a thing people do. Okay, we'll do it. And they're not thinking about the <laughs> other people. Side of the issue. Yeah.
2: Well, let's let's you, look you at. You think it. so? I,
0: I think it, I think it's people who are doing something that's essentially unethical, but but they they do it anyway because they think it's it's kind of a, a small offense. So yeah.
2: It's probably a range. There's some people like you're saying, Spencer, that are very aware of what's happening. Then there's other people that I think may be starting out a group and saying, "Well, that uh, just seems to be normal. Everyone I'm seems sure, to do it that I'm way." I'm sure well, there's a brass
1: quintet of like supervillains out there who are just going like, "Yeah, fuck them." But <laughs> well, I think I, they're I, probably
2: yeah. in the as definitely a brass, brass ensemble <laughs> supervillain league would be kind of fantastic yeah. <laughs> uh, but i think well you made a really good point i hadn't thought about this before but it's so true let's say you're planning a concert to perform five new works and these five works are going to come from the call for score and you go in with no financial structure no other source of funding and no real budgetary plan for how you're going to make this happen and you're saying well we're we're going to get all this money from the call for score funds the huge problem right out of the gate is if you have five people apply, and that's it, you may have made 50 bucks, and you're now bound to a concert for five people, and you don't have the funding to do it. Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? Do you cancel the event? So it do you means refund them the money? They must have
1: the money already coming from
2: somewhere Correct. else. So where is this going? Why do they do it? So that's why I feel like when there's a call for score amount, if you're in that situation... The incentive I feel would be you want as many people to apply with the knowledge that it's less people that are going to be chosen, but it's more income to fund the project. So I can see how people might try to justify it as saying, well, this is, we need this money to like help these other individuals. But you're basically again, setting up a system where you are purposefully expecting people to pay you money for no viable result. I would personally prefer to see something like a call for scores. The money. Now, again, this would have to be if a group is establish enough that they have their external funding but i would love a call for scores to have funds that would go towards an organization that supports uh, young composers no matter if you win or lose you are still contributing something positive i think that still creates
1: the problem of people not being able to afford entry
2: true yeah i mean any,
0: any fee is necessarily gonna um be an insurmountable barrier of entry to someone to someone. To even have a $5 fee, which a lot of people do, that alone weeds out less serious people. The fact that someone would have to enter their credit card and pay to submit a piece of their writing, $5 is going to weed out the least serious people. But even that is a significant amount of money to someone. So I I think that whole thing totally undercuts all the talk of uh, diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. that m- half of these calls, you know, purport to care about. We don't spend any time questioning the institution of fees, especially when called for by institutions who truly don't need our money, like colleges. I understand they have an enormous number of entries and you do have to have some sort of barrier so that they don't get just everyone going for it because why the fuck not but um i think i think
1: fundamentally there's got to be a different way to to, to filter that Mm -hmm. and speaking of music i mean if we really want to filter the people who aren't all that committed or particularly talented or know what they're doing it's pretty easy by double clicking the goddamn pdf because as I think yeah. everyone at this table will agree. Mm. It takes a lot of goddamn training and practice and information in order Time. to make music look right. Oh, to edit. Yeah. Even you if can... you don't listen to it or know a damn thing about it, you're going to know the second you open it up whether or not this person conducts themselves like a professional or knows what they're doing. You know yeah, you sounds... can tell just by the formatting of a page, you can tell. You know,
0: that, that, that sounds serious.
2: exactly like exactly what you said earlier, Spencer, about submitting your resume. A whole resume can be thrown out if there's a typo. Yeah. So it's the same, some, it's the same, thing. same situation. And it kind
1: of, this is what really pulls the rug out from underneath the argument that this is somehow the, their means for separating the people who aren't as serious. It's just not true. Sometimes these call for scores are for new pieces and they can't be a premiered piece of music that you pre wrote. So you need to write it for these people. And then possibly not have it be played. And maybe it's for an instrumentation like bass flute and garbage can.
2: That's the ensemble for That I think
1: nobody's going to ever, ever, ever play. Also, it has to be uh, between 12 and 16 minutes long. And there's a fee of 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And if you win, we'll play it. And that's it.
0: I think the summation of this should be reading off some things that we think are, are good examples of calls and, and bad examples of calls. So maybe let's um, hear a
1: good one, we've been kind of mm-hmm. negative. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll hear a good one. Keeping it positive
1: after we've been yeah. bitching about this for, you know, 25 minutes or something. Definitely cut that out. You-
0: no. Okay. So let, let's start, let's start with a good one. NCO seeks works for violin, violin and string orchestra or a piece for solo violin. The application fee is... minimum fee is $5. I'm getting the sense that this is donation-based, and you have to send them a score, and an empathy recording, or a MIDI, personal information, whatever. They give you the instruments, and you're not allowed to go beyond 25 minutes. To me, that's a pretty reasonable call, because you can use that piece. The fee is good, you can use a piece that you've written already, or even if you write a piece for this, you can use that piece again. Let me read a, a, a less good example. This title is um, Call for Original Compositions, Album Release, in parentheses, Woodwind Duet, and Moog Synth Woodwind. So okay. right off of the bat, you know that you don't have a piece. Well, you, you, I mean, you should, you should go into the interpretation thing. I think these are doublings. Armenian Duduk... Oh, okay. Which, which I mean, I have 10 or 12 du-duk. sonatas for. Sup- soprano saxophone, bass clarinet, clarinet. So I think that's one person who doubles on all those things. Oh. And then someone else who doubles on moog, mini moog, and sub fatty.
1: So this person owns three synthesizers, and their buddy plays a wind instrument and happens to own a deduk from the one time they took a trip to Turkey. <laughs>
2: That could, that could be. Oh no, Armenia.
1: Diduk. Sorry, Armenia. It was Armenian Deduk, Excuse me. When the f- shit are you ever gonna be able to send somebody a piece for Moog <clears> synthesizer? <throat> which, if you don't know what that is, don't feel bad. And some random woodwind instrument. When are you ever gonna have a concert that ever has two people who play those two things together? Very rarely. Right. So you're. If you submit to this, you're writing a piece for this.
0: That and if it doesn't get picked, it's trash. It's literally getting thrown out Unless, you, That's unless you endeavor to
2: rework it into something else, yeah. some other duet. If you want someone to write a, a new original piece for you, the call for scores just needs to be submit your current work so we get a sense of your mm-hmm. compositional style, and then you pick someone, then you put the work in to write it. Yeah. Having someone right. write a piece to submit... With the chance of getting picked, I think, is very insulting. Oh, and it and happens. Disrespectful to the person's time. That's going to put the, the effort into writing this piece, you mm-hmm. know, for them to play. It, <laughs>
1: this is the message that comes across. And if there's anyone who's in ensembles who do call for scores like this, this is the image that composers get. Imagine you want a new table for your house. You have a very nice house. And sometimes people come over for dinner just because they love your house so much. They don't even think you're that great a person. They just like your house. And you say, I need a new kitchen table for these dinner parties I'm throwing. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to let all the carpenters in the tri-state area know that I need a new table. And I'm going to say, all right, guys, everyone make a table. And the one I like best, you can give it to me, and everyone's going to get to see this table when they come over for dinner. And, I'm not gonna, and, you, and just give me 10 bucks and I'll, I'll consider picking your table. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy a table, by the way. I'm just going to put it in my house.
0: Even worse... Also, I'm, I'm going to pick my friend's table no matter what.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Even worse, the table has to have engraved faces... Of your favorite nascar champions all around the exactly <laughs> just yeah. so that the we people know that it wasn't <laughs> yeah.
1: made for some other purpose
0: and
2: then if someone you know when you don't ha- get that table picked who's going to put that in their living room
0: that table needs to be dedicated to this house so that i can make sure that whatever you made for me is useless in any other application <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if you're in an ensemble who does that and you're insulted by this fuck you <laughs> You don't have any consideration for other people. Let's we or, hope yeah. you take some
2: lessons away from this and maybe change your ways,
1: like now, fucking yourself. Again, <laughs> yeah. We're only telling you to fuck yourself if you do this in the most extreme fashion that we just described. Oh. If you're, you know, a low-level offender who maybe said, like, I didn't consider what having a fee on my opportunity, you know, implies for people, you obviously can change your ways, and it's fine. Don't sweat it. But, like, you know, people who are doing this other shit, just fuck off. Just go hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. And True. just to say this, some people out there are doing it right. Oh,
2: absolutely. Some I people so. are
1: doing like mm-hmm. a really good job and are either not charging composers or they're doing what you just said, Michael, where they're, you know, saying what this money's going towards or they're even saying like, if you can't afford this, really just oh, let yeah, us know yeah. and, and we'll consider it and we could waive the fee for you. It's just that this is kind of a growing pattern that's been emerging for a long time i mean there's been articles on new music box uh which is a really good uh new music blog if you don't know what that is for like 10 years since the earliest one i more than that i found one from 2006 that's complaining about this kind of thing
0: Let, let me let me read the rest of this because that's not just that's not the end of it so the thing you write for it for this call is going to be useless i would say even if you get picked <laughs> uh, but, it might hurt you
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> the actual call goes on to say we are a woodwind duet we are going to release a collection album and need some original compositions featuring the instruments mentioned above you can search our work Colita yeah. babu duet when the selection will be made we are starting the disc production along, the rec- along with recordings of the original co- compositions. Okay, first of all, they, they link to only their Facebook page.
1: Um, now, Spencer, if I was still somehow tempted to oh, no. throw my hat in the ring and just see what happens, see if I can maybe ingratiate myself to these fine musicians... Mm-hmm. What might I be expecting uh, to to pay as an entry fee?
0: Will, that's a great question because I I know you have a few pieces for Armenian Duque. I do. and sub fatty. Some some um, say
1: I'm the Leonard Bernstein of the Armenian Duque <laughs> and sub fatty <laughs> duo, which is why I'm tempted. I mean, I just want to you know keep keep this keep this energy flowing. Well, then you're in luck because it's only going to cost you a hundred euro
0: to submit to this. A hundred euro or hundred and forty
1: Jesus bucks. Yeah. Jesus. so that's ridiculous i don't i think this one is either an extreme clerical error or people who have no understanding of of what they're I asking think it's the of latter. people
2: it's the they latter. just have
1: no clue but there are less extreme examples of groups doing things like this that ask a lot of of different composers so
0: i i don't, I don't think it's a clerical error and i i don't think it's they don't think they uh I I don't think they don't know what they're doing. I think they know what they're doing, which is if they get 40 people to submit $100 each, they have $4,000 for a recording. Um, I I, I don't think they're going to get it. I don't think anyone's applying, but I I think it symbolizes the inauthenticity of many of the calls.
1: Do you think we could um, get our fan base to all make a PDF that just says, screw you? and submit it and not, se- and not send the fee in so that they just get, can't send, they get inundated with emails that just say screw you I, don't know, I
2: think sometimes you have to send send the fee but maybe not maybe it's i mean separate. usually
1: it's like a separate paypal link I mean, or something yeah. like that so just send the email and just screw you that's right loudbox fans let's do this should say Dogio for things fans aft a-ft. AFT AFT fans out we there. Have-
2: do we even have to say where we landed? I don't even think we I do. I think it's very clear where we I think. clear I clearly think. I would just my closing word would be composers, whether you're new, established, anyone applying for a call for scores, just be very conscious of what you're applying to. Just
1: use, just use caution. And if you're hearing this and you're an organizer of some kind, just be conscious that what you how you choose to structure these things affects people.
2: Spencer. Do you want to share something with us?
1: stay tuned for the Adagio for Things call for scores. Yes. Mm -hmm. With a very light $73 application fee. And if you apply early, it's only double. More on this in our next
0: episode.
2: If you apply late, it's free.
0: Late is free. Early is double. Late is also double.
2: (laughs)
3: Late is also
2: double.
3: (laughs) Late is also (laughs) double. Oh (laughs) my (laughs) god. Oh shit. All right.
2: That's funny.
1: That's probably a good place to leave it. Here's Pascal LaBeouf.
2: Today, I sat down with Pascal LaBeouf. His music is very adventurous in that he doesn't seem afraid to try things. And what's incredible is that it seems like when he tries these things he makes it work it's not just a shot in the dark so he'll take an idea and say i'm going to incorporate this into my piece but then when he does it he does it like in one of the best ways possible and he is delightful can i just tell you that his interview has inspired me just like it was a great conversation any other fun exciting stuff that's happened since i last saw you Oh man, I
3: don't know where to begin. Yeah, I've just kind of been touring around and making music. I've been working on projects with my brother, which our band is called LaBeouf Brothers. Ta-da! And still touring with, uh, I tour a lot with this jazz singer named Alan Harris. Oh yeah, uh, I I know that name. Oh yeah? Yeah. Uh, He's a lot of fun. And then I've been making a a bunch of recordings and videos. I love making, I love making things in the studio. It's my favorite part.
2: I wanted to start out by all going all the way back Ooh, time okay
3: okay we're in a time machine now we're
2: going yeah i met you in italy if That's i'm right. remembering this correctly because i don't think i i'm yeah i did not know you i knew of you but i didn't know you until uh, the 2017 cortona sessions um mm-hmm. which for people that don't know cortona is this amazing little town in Italy where the wine flows and the cats roam free. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. Your piece won the Cortona prize, which is a big deal. And I was like, oh, I'm excited to hear this. And uh, I remember, I think I just met you and you were asking around for a type of bottle that would roll properly <laughs> on the piano strings. I remember and this. I was sold. I was like, okay, I got to hear this piece. This is going to be amazing. Well, the problem so the, the piece, problem was
3: the the, I, the piece calls for a water bottle or something like this to kind of roll on the piano strings, and the, the weight of the bottle with the water in it it hits n- different nodes in the strings so that they resonate differently with harmonics or whatever. Um, and the water gives it this kind of randomness. So if you if you just push it, it won't just roll like a, a ball, it'll kind of speed up and slow down and speed up and slow down. But the problem was I was in Europe and in Europe they, you know, they're so good about using glass instead of plastic that I couldn't find a plastic bottle anywhere and plastic sounds different than glass. And yeah. I think I ended up finding uh, a shampoo bottle and just emptying out the shampoo. <laughs> I but, thought that was what
2: I was like. I yeah. feel like it was a shampoo
3: bottle. <laughs> it was really hard though to find the right thing.
2: <laughs> That's amazing, but it was so worth it. So this this piece um, is obliquely wrecked for mm-hmm. violin, cello, and piano. And I was just listening it again today and I just remember being floored by this piece. I absolutely love it. Can you talk a little bit about the piece itself and like how you decided to use those sounds, like the bottle rolling on the strings and the aerosol? Because it all worked so well. It didn't sound like segmented sounds. It sounded like one solid piece. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me, like how you approach doing that.
3: The piece Obliquely Wrecked was written kind of inspired by my experience at the Bang on a Can uh, Summer Festival in 2015, which is where I kind of learned to stretch my wings as a capital C composer. Because prior to going there, I'd always been a composer, but I was working in the jazz scene and the electronic music scene where people that are composers don't really identify as composers. Uh, while I was there, I, I heard David Lang relate a story in which a commissioner had asked him to write a 10 minute piece for a specific nature. And not wanting to be creatively restricted, David responded by, by asking this commissioner if he could compose an hour long piece for amplified orchestra using only one chord instead. And I always admired this about his work and I've always mm-hmm. been drawn to this kind of mischievous contrary approach to composition. I don't know, I've, I've always had this appreciation for for aggressive kind of energy and uh, mm-hmm. and syncopation and things like this that you hear a lot in, in modern jazz and in 90s drum and bass. And um, the problem is maintaining that high intensity For a long time, for more than like two or three minutes, for example, is is really difficult and doesn't really work. You tend to get fatigued. I think he was warning me about this, and it immediately became clear when he he made this comment that I should write an hour-long work that's just continuous high energy with no breaks. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) The, that's what the the original concept of the piece was about, but I was only able to get up to nine minutes. Uh, the aerosol can. I was actually I was on the road in a in a rock band with a singer named Meg Mac, and we were doing a tour opening for D'Angelo, actually. And I was hanging out with this guy Todd, and Todd really loved uh, Velvet Underground, and I was talking about like weird contemporary music sounds, and he was like, "Oh, have you ever heard like this aerosol can thing?" So. Yeah, I guess they did it first. So, so you got the So that's kind of like, I was like, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. I wonder uh-huh. how, you know, how I could get like a percussive sound to like be more continuous.
2: I definitely can f- feel that like consistent sense of energy. I think it's, I just love the sound of it, but I think that's why it seems like the aerosol can work so well, especially at the end, because it does feel like this build up of pressure and, you know, excitement. And then it's kind of like, it just blows over the top.
3: Thank you. Well, it's fun. It's fun for the performers, hopefully.
2: I got to hear uh, a bit of that when you were performing as Pascal's Triangle, but it was just a, you know a whole different aspect of, of you as a musician. One of the pieces that I remember you were talking about that stuck out was revisiting a past self. Remind me a bit of what what you said because I remember I can't remember the whole the whole thing you said, but I remember you're mentioning that it it definitely had to do with recalling. Um, elements of how you wrote in the past. I just wanted to.
3: Well, this is one of those, those uh, compositions. I just call it a tune. It's just a a melody and chord. So we played it as a piano trio, but it could really be anything. And it was something where I think I was kind of looking, looking at prior versions of my, my creative self, which at that point would have been probably very young, like late high school or something. And just Mm -hmm. thinking about this discovery process of like, ooh, this is a cool sound, this is a cool sound. When I put these things together, it's this thing. And just trying to use techniques or elements or materials that I associated with an earlier time in my life. And it kind of it makes me think of how we, we're constantly changing. We're not the same people we were yesterday or 10 years ago.
2: And I think that can be... Exciting and also kind of scary because it's, it's, I know that I definitely look back at older pieces I've written and I'm just like, what was I
3: doing? Well, imagine if you, like, if you thought about, you know, who you were, you know, five years ago or something and the things that you were interested in creatively and the things you were interested in listening to and you just limited yourself to composing with those things now. You'd have this larger scope to understand those things.
2: No, that's a really. I mean, that's an interesting perspective how to look at it. Sometimes the the drive is to forget the past, and you always say, you know, well, this is this is who I am now. But it's all it's all building on something related to that. I what I thought was so interesting is that you have such a strong jazz background, obviously, and these very powerful compositional chops. How have you worked with that? How have you do you specifically decide that? You're going to focus on one aspect when you write a piece, or is it? Are you? Do you keep your entire palette open?
3: I think I think of of jazz, for example, as as a musical language, and I think of it as my first language. So I I tend to kind of understand other musical idioms through that lens. But I think that I get a lot out of uh, the synthesis of different idioms because I like I like the idea of combining art, artists from different communities in in the creation of, of a piece of music. I think the process for me is really about people. It's like, I'm thinking about what if, what would happen if I put jazz drummer like Justin Brown in a situation where he's playing crazy odd time signature stuff. Um, like, what if I put him in that kind of a situation, but instead of it being electronic music, it's the Jack Quartet or it's, you know, some somebody you know some group of open minded people with really great rhythm from the contemporary classical scene i think that's kind of what i think about similar similar things are interesting i think with with electronic music or whatever whatever type of genre whatever thing thing we're listening to i think it gets in there somehow
2: the way you put that has, has something i hadn't really thought about that way but it's incredible the way you describe it as saying that you're writing for people or your your focus is on the person as opposed to necessarily just the instrument. One of the videos I think it just is so cool is when you um, collaborated with Sarah Goldfeather, you came out with that the music video and the oh, I'm drawing the worst blank on the topics. oh it was
3: called Empty Promise is that
2: yes that seems like such a great example of what you're saying because it's you know it had like I think members of the Jack were Ted and it was like more of like a on the pop side too which is really cool you could tell everyone looked like they were, had a fun time putting this collaboration together
3: oh totally I feel like the the foundation of that project was just an excuse to hang out with with people. I'm glad it feels that way to you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. probably the best way to start a collaboration. Let's, let's just hang out and have fun and see what happens.
3: Yeah, like those things always lead to interesting discoveries. And sometimes they don't work, but it's nice when they do. You know? Yeah.
2: Well, I definitely want to link to, to the video in our, our show notes because I think people should definitely check it out. It's just a really neat video. Going off of that, we're talking about collaborations. And I know you mentioned being a part of the Lo- the Buff brothers. That seems like that could be a very rewarding and also very challenging experience. I mean, I guess I don't know because I'm an only child, so I don't really know how that goes. But I'm just curious to see. Like, <laughs> well, let's what, go there. <laughs> yeah, what, what has been your exp- I'm sure there's been like some great stories coming out of that.
3: I think for me, having always been an identical twin, I can't really relate to any other experience. You know, mm-hmm. if you say, what's it like being an identical twin and, and coming up in a band together? I, I mean, I kind of like, what's it like not doing that? Like, but I will say that uh, I think it instilled a kind of uh, a value of, of communal music making. And I think that uh, especially with, with certain, certain art forms more than others can be kind of isolating, like electronic production is a, and, and composing are both things you do alone. And it's nice to kind of put yourself in situations where there are other people around and you're doing these things together. I think that my love for that comes from being a twin and, and hanging out with my brother. And um, But, but I, think, I think a lot of artists value it more than others, this kind of camaraderie of, of opening yourself to each other and learning from each other. And, and I think it can be really beautiful.
2: So it sounds like you you definitely like influence each other.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely, I definitely. I think but the challenge comes from from trying to distinguish yourself, too. I mean, I think um, Remy and I both really work hard on trying to identify and protect the elements that make us different from each other. And uh, I think as we've, as we've kind of developed more, we've branched out in, in different ways, though, so we don't really focus on that so much. Um, and
2: he, he's primarily saxophonist, is correct? And you focus mostly on piano.
3: Yes, yes, he plays alto saxophone. He doubles on everything. And, and I've always been a, a pianist and a keyboardist. But I think we, I do see, I do see our creative relationships as kind of like a Venn diagram where like there's me as an individual, there's him as an individual, and then there's our collective identity. You know, for, for those of you that aren't identical twins out there, um, I think it's important to p- kind of be aware of because I think a lot of people kind of group twins together into their collective identity. It can be kind of frustrating if you're a twin to be in these situations where people don't really know who you are. They just know you're one of those two people that they think of as one person.
2: But I wanted to also get into, because I know you mentioned working with the Jack Quartet, and I I know that the LaBeouf brothers has collaborated with them, it seems pretty frequently. And you guys were just nominated for a Grammy, which is pretty uh, awesome. And that was what the 2018 Grammys?
3: Um, that was just last year, so I guess it would years. have been, yeah. Do that. It was for um, an album that came out the prior year.
2: If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, this is the best in instrumental, best instrumental composition for your piece, "Alkaline." Correct. Mm-hmm. This is kind of an, <clears throat> I just love this because this is another area where it feels like you seamlessly fused your different languages, especially the jazz language, because you have piano, alto sax, tenor sax. Bass drums. Can you talk a little bit about like how that how that collaboration came about and what why you decided to take that type of approach with that piece?
3: Strangely enough, the instrument came. The instrumentation itself came about because Remy and I had um, gotten a CMA grant for Remy to compose a piece for that instrumentation. So so the the instrumentation kind of came from Remy, um, but there are a few precedents for that in you know in in jazz. Ensembles, people like Ambrose, and Museri, and Fabian Amazon. they are amazing uh, composers and musicians that had been doing things kind of like this. Most of what was going on, you know, kind of situated within the ja- the idiomatic world of of jazz. Um, so I was kind of thinking about those things, and and I had waited uh, a really long time to actually find myself in classical music. I think I tried to learn about every other thing. And was like, I'm not, I'm not really ready to 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 get into classical music yet. It just, it doesn't feel authentic or honest yet. But when I did, I was like, oh yeah, I love John Adams and Julie Wolfe and uh, Princeton composers, and I love cool rhythmic stuff. And I think some light bulb went off that was kind of like, oh, I keep, I keep banging my head against this wall in the jazz scene where. You, if you write too many notes and too many specific things, then then people can't express themselves very easily as improvisers, and so they get kind of cagey. Um, anyway, but that stuff crept into the into the album too, where like a lot of the times I'm not really thinking about the strings as strings as much as I'm thinking of them as synthesizers, and then asking a cellist to to wobble like an LFO and go like, you know. That's why that's why Jack is so cool, because they listen to Boards of Canada and so they're like, oh, I know what you're doing.
2: So I mean it's not it's not every day that someone gets to to go to the Grammys. You would look good in a tux,
3: Michael. I think I think you should thank you. Maybe if you just showed up and like had some attitude, then you could just sneak in. I don't really put a lot of weight in awards and things like this. I feel like they're, uh, it was nice to get this award and, and it definitely opened a lot of doors, but I was just kind of stoked to be out there and to see what it was all about. But I was I was pretty intimidated by like, you know, there are all these amazing artists that are there and I'm like, what's going to happen? What am I going to say to Kendrick Lamar when like, we're like cheering uh, over hors d'oeuvres, you know, like yeah. trying to imagine these, these scenarios it was actually very welcoming and, and surprisingly chill. There was none of this weird competitive feeling. Like I remember meeting Chuck Owen who, who we were in the same category and uh, being like, Oh, I hope it's not going to be, you know, weird, you know, meeting somebody that who, who I'm up against in this category. And, And he was so nice and so full of friendly advice and just made me realize that, the the people there, at least in the in the categories like instrumental composition, are really just a community of people that are there because they they help each other.
2: I mean that's 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 really refreshing to hear too because it's that's not always the picture that I feel at least had been painted in my mind in the past before I got really involved in the music scene. With your experience with working with people, what are the type, some of the things that you find the most rewarding when you work with others?
3: That's a great question. I mean, I think that. Uh, what, what I think about is, you know, what is my role as an artist, as a musician, the things I can do, the things you can do. We basically are providing a stage for people to say things or, you know, even if it's not important, it's something that's funny, some reason, some reason for people to care. I think that has to be really a part of it. And I think that mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that have important things to say or to contribute and uh, don't have that kind of soapbox to stand on and so one of the things i think about a lot when i'm when i'm thinking about collaborating with people how can i expose new ideas to groups of people that wouldn't normally hear them you know if it's a political piece uh, or it could be something abstract that's more related to just like ways of making music Mm -hmm. Um, so i think a lot about that when i think about collaborating and in people i think about what they have to say and trying to put together people that have can have an interesting conversation with me and with each other and with the mm-hmm. different communities that they come from.
2: Well, I feel like I've just noticed that... I, I'm just wondering. I mean, mm. you, you'll know better than I do. Do you Have you ever noticed that there's sometimes a different experience when you're focusing on individuals that are used to the kind of inherent collaborative nature of jazz as opposed to working hmm. with maybe more classical performers who are not necessarily opposed to it but have just been brought up more in kind of a, a more rigid sense of what it is to play in an ensemble
3: you know as you were talking i, I thought of a couple things um you talked about uh, kind of how a lot of people kind of collaborate more freely with with maybe larger numbers of people or something i i do think of of the jazz scene is inherently more, I guess, musically promiscuous is the way I would say, you know, people are like, everybody's, nobody's like saying, Oh, well you're in that band or that ensemble. So, you know, I don't want to play with that cellist because then that ensemble might get pissed at me or, you know, there's not this ownership (laughs) or this feeling of, of, um, I mean, people are loyal in a different way. You know, I think people are encouraged to play with each other and to, to play with lots of different people and to kind of get to know lots of different people. But as a result, you, you also mentioned some idea about competition and stuff. And I think there are people in both scenes that view these situations as competitive. And I think mm-hmm. that humans, a lot of humans are always going to do that. It's part of how we understand the world. I think in both scenes, there are some people that are more and less focused on that aspect of it, you know? At, at a certain point, when we get beyond kind of the stereotypes, I feel like mm-hmm. the contemporary classical uh, music communities and in, in the in the progressive jazz music communities are are surprisingly similar. I think the mm-hmm. the biggest difference is that in jazz we go we go and have jam sessions, like where you know you go to you go to a club like Smalls or something, and and there's a whole community there like regularly, and you're always you can always go there and you can always run into people. I think. You know, we might do this um, in in the contemporary scene, but but not necessarily with our instruments. So we have to work a little harder to get to know each other.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like this your your concept of what it means to collaborate is a great direction forward. And I think that I think it definitely is has been going that way and changing. Do you? Is there anything that you a pitfall or anything that you would say is like something to avoid when you're when you're Collaborating, or something that you've oh, come across yeah, that's just totally. been so not helpful to the process.
3: I think that um, part of what creates, you know, stereotypes in in music and and otherwise are, are these kinds of prescribed paths that we find ourselves on. There's a path that's that's kind of like these are the things you need to do in order to succeed in this in this uh, environment. Like, let's say you want to. Um, be on the jazz path, you know, you go to some conservatory or something, you meet a bunch of people, you practice really hard, you go out to the clubs every night, and you play all the jam sessions, and you don't drink too much, and you dress sharp, and you, you know, promote your online presence, and you do a Kickstarter, and you make a CD, and then you set up a tour, and you release the CD, and you publicize it yourself, because you can't afford to get a publicist yet, and then You know, you, you build and you continue on this. There's this kind of prescribed path of like, this is how you succeed in, let's say it's in jazz. But I think the same, there's a path for orchestra music. There's a path for the rock scene. There's a path for, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of um, thing that people have done before. Uh, People, especially when we're students, when we're in the process of, of intaking information, people become really, um, kind of obsessed with that path and they forget that that maybe the most uh, personalized and interesting path is the one that doesn't exist yet. Part of like music has become very academic and part of that is, is people sharing their path and and a path they think would be good for a student or whatever. It's a very individual thing. You know, it's like Mm. living your life, how you live your life, you know, and and nobody should, should try to live the life they think they should live. Uh, based on some prescribed ideology or something you know
2: well i well, man i but i would say I too though used that, you as a therapist
3: oh so long
2: ago. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna would, have to have weekly sessions so we can talk this out
3: <laughs> okay okay anytime man <laughs> i would say though that i think a lot of people um you know they they work really well with a path like that and and that it it is a good fit and that's not there's nothing wrong with that either
2: and yeah it sounds like that that probably you know never stops I think whenever especially when you're a musician you just it just never really ends which is kind of the beauty of it I feel like there's never really an achievement of perfection or that's true unnecessarily a, a specific goal you get to it's just you, it's just a constant state of doing
3: yeah but I do think it. I do think that you said doing I mean I think that this uh, it's related to what we're talking about though where I think there's a a transition that occurs for a lot of people where you you begin by absorbing information and discovering who you are but i think at a certain point people people focus more on the doing part on the on the exporting of information and ideas
2: nice well that's i think that's that's a great outlook i think it's very solid advice so i would be super remiss if i didn't mention this because i i want to talk about some you know the things that are upcoming well, you know what you're doing right now and i know you mentioned that you have oh. a show uh november 30th mm-hmm. san francisco if that's right mm-hmm. and this is with the friction quartet and in, in san francisco right
3: that's correct it's like a it's a hybrid kind of piece that that combines classical and jazz elements kind of like um some of the ideas i explored on imaginist but this one kind of specifically explores um this idea of of human behavior and, uh, how, how our behaviors at micro and macro scales, um, kind of impact, um, our, um, existence on the, on the planet and things like this. So there's this kind of environmental aspect to it. I mean, I think certain things, certain things that we do are really beautiful. You know, the, the communal elements, uh, of like the music scene, for example, or, um, the way, you know, people care for their families, you know, these are things that I think would, would be great if we were able to do on a larger scale. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, there are obviously a lot of things that I think we do unthinkingly, especially in the U S, um, as relating to the environment, that, that would be really harmful if we applied to, to, you know, all of humanity. And I think that that's an interesting thing to think about. How could we, um, you know, how, how would we change our behaviors, uh, based on these thoughts? And, uh, I'm really excited to be working with the friction quartet. They're, they're like a a San Francisco based quartet. They're really fun people. They've, they've got a great, uh, sense of kind of, of, of groove and rhythm and this kind of Mm -hmm. dynamic, kind of way of expressing things. Um and we're gonna be joined by a great bass player, also kind of like a local hero in the Bay Area, this guy Julia Xavier Seto, who's basically, you know, he's like the house bassist at all the jazz clubs and is super cool. Um and this drummer from LA named Christian Newman is coming up to to perform with us. And we're gonna do a number of other pieces too, like Wanderlust, um, and uh, Family of Others and uh Hopefully, this will all come out on a CD someday, some sometime next year.
2: Nice. So this is all. So the entire concert pretty much is you in, in the group performing more so than a piece being on like with
3: others. It's yeah. I mean, basically, we're the the performance kind of based around this this piece, but then we're going to do other pieces as well. Um, but um, this this piece being kind of like a, a monumental work for me, um, is kind of taking. Uh, kind of a primary role in how we're, how we're presenting the rest of the concert, you know?
2: Perfect. We'll definitely put a, you know, info about the event. I, I I don't think we have a lot of like San Francisco listeners, but who knows by the 30th, maybe we can make (laughs) a push. I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your, Travels in Miami. Oh, you know, my to, pleasure to, to to do this with us. I mean, this has been a really great. I really enjoy like hearing about all the stuff you're doing, and right, I think this has been a really enjoyable conversation.
3: Thank you. It's been enjoyable for me too. I feel like we we went some places. We time traveled, and we, we got did. we got deep. We got expressed artistic. feelings. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. We
2: ran the whole gamut. We covered everything. There's nothing left to talk about. Well, bye. <laughs> <laughs> well that's the show folks so thank you again to Pascal for sitting down with us it was just just a great conversation but also we're just very grateful that he joined us on the show definitely check out his upcoming piece that's going to be premiered in San Francisco it's going to be performed by the Friction Quartet so if you happen to be traveling out to California uh, definitely make plans to see it I wish I could go out to California and check that out but if not I'm definitely going to have to get the recording of that because that piece he's working on sounds great as always, don't forget to check out the Spotify playlist that we have crafted for each episode. It's going to have all the music that we've talked about so you can actually hear it for yourself. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share our three favorite words. Well, that are not vulgar. And.
1: Is that it? I think that's it. We need more listeners.
2: Yeah, please listen. listen to Just shows. listen. Send
1: it to people. It's cool, <laughs> it's funny.
2: All you, you have it. to do is press play and sit you made there.
1: It to the end of the fucking episode.
2: It's the easiest thing to do. You
1: must love it. Share it,
2: <laughs> please. Until next time, we'll leave you with Pascal's Grammy-nominated piece "Alkaline" for piano, alto sax, tenor sax, bass, drums, and string quartet, as performed by the Jack Quartet. <laughs>